Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. Praise the Lord. Well, it is a special honor to be here today, and I I really want to thank you for inviting me. But I can identify with the last verse in John's Gospel that states, There are many more things that Jesus did, but if they were to be described individually, I do not think the whole world could contain the books that would be written. I can identify with that. You know, so I'm praying, it's like, Lord, how do I whittle it down to an hour? You know, and so rather than just talk really fast and try to get it all in, I thought I'd take a cue from the gospel writer and just try to hit the high points, okay? But the Lord has been very active in my life, and I'm eternally grateful to him for bringing me around. (laughs) I was born and raised an Air Force brat. My father joined the Army Air Corps before World War II. He knew a war was coming and he wanted to choose where he served. He became a weather forecaster and he made the Air Force a career after the war. We moved around quite a bit. I tell people I was conceived in Alaska, born in Illinois and living in Florida by the time I was two. (laughs) We also lived on Guam, which for me was a wonderful adventure. I was four and five at the time, it was great. I don't know how my mother endured it. And then we ended up living in Newport News, Virginia for about four years, which really, you know, we put down some pretty good roots to live in the same place for four years. Many military children uh, raised in families, military families, so you know, they don't have a home base. They don't have a real sense of home, but we always had Lost Creek, West Virginia. Thank you, Jesus. That was my mother's family's home. I have three sisters. Two are seven and five years older. One is seven years younger, and although I was a middle child, I really did not get lost in the shuffle. I was kind of out there by myself for a while, you know, five years here, seven years here. So I was doted on, you know, and I was a rambunctious kid. I I know you probably don't see that in me, but (laughs) I was, believe me. We were Methodists by faith, churchgoers, and there are no other Catholics in my family. I'm a lone Catholic. I still have a Southern Independent Fundamentalist Baptist Preacher Cousin who is praying for my immortal soul. He's wanting me to be saved. And God love him. He's a good man. I was loved and I felt loved by both my parents. Had a great childhood. But my first exposure to the Catholicism was in Newport News, Virginia. Our next door neighbors were Catholic. And uh, they invited me over to dinner one time on a Friday night during Lent. My mother said, no, 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 you can't go. And I said, well, why not? She says, well, it's Lent, and they're Catholic, and they'll be eating fish. And I said, well, I like fish. You know, I mean, what's the deal? You know, but she, she just didn't think it was appropriate. So I didn't go, and then one day we were up in Diane's bedroom, and she had this little vial 
this little plastic bottle that said holy water. And I said, so what's that? It says holy water, but I asked her what it was. She said, well, it's holy water. And I said, well, why is it holy? And she said, because it's been blessed. Well, how does it get blessed? Well, the priest says a prayer over it. Oh, so that makes it blessed. And she's like, yeah. So what do you do with it? She goes, well, we bless ourselves with it. Well, how do you bless yourself? So she puts some and makes the sign of the cross. Well, can I try? You know, so I tried, and I didn't feel any different. I I thought I'd hear the choirs of angels or something. But at that moment, her mother comes in, and she was a very genteel southern lady. She said, now, Diane, that's nothing to be played with. And, you know, that left an impression on me. It was a curiosity, and, and yet it intrigued me, okay? When my father uh, retired from the Air Force, we moved back to West Virginia in 1963. He knew another war was coming, and he didn't want to be involved in it. And he moved us to Morgantown, West Virginia, which is the home of WVU. He wanted to get his PhD in uh, history and economics, and he wanted all of us girls to be able to go to the university. But it was also very close to Lost Creek. And several things happened to me about that time that picked my interest even more in the Catholic faith. I remember seeing the people going to St. John's University Parish. And they were, you know, wearing these long, lacy, doily-looking things. And, you know, I mean, I, just, I thought, wow, they're willing to look different for the faith. You know, that impressed me, just watching women go to church in, in chapel veils was a was a statement to me. There were several movies that came on about that time. Well, prior to, but I used to watch Saturday afternoon movies. Remember the day the sun danced, the song of Fa the, the story of Fatima and the little children? Mm -hmm. That movie really had an impact on me. And so did the song of Bernadette, the story of Lords. And there was another movie I've never seen it since, and I don't know the name, but of a, a young girl who had gone to the convent to become a nun. She was taking her novitiate, but she decided she needed to go out into the world. She had her doubts. She met three different men, all who died, and then she ended up going back to the convent and was able to just join her class and take her final vows because miraculously, someone was in her stead that looked just like her and uh, as, as if she had never left. It was like a miracle, like it, this is what she is meant to be. The Lord had given her the opportunity. And it, I think the impression that left upon me, it was, it was the Blessed Mother who had made this miracle happen for her. And has anybody ever seen that movie? It was, oh, I, I have to talk to you. I need to know the, the name of that movie, if you remember that. So, but that had an impression on me. And I thought to myself, you know, here's these Catholics. They had miracles. They had holy water. They dressed differently. Why weren't we Catholic? Because I really thought that they were, you know, more, more religious than us. I was in the sixth grade, and I was confirmed in the Methodist church. And one of the scriptures came from, you know, the one from Mark, to produce 30, 60, and 100-fold. And I was gung-ho, you know. I wanted 100-fold, okay? So in the sixth grade... They had all the patrols go to Washington, D.C. for a trip. And we were going to be there over the weekend. 
you know, patrols, those little crossing guards. We had little sashes and a badge. We were real important. And we went, I went with a girl who I knew, you know, I buddied up with her because she was Catholic and we were going to be gone. And I wanted to get into a Catholic church. I wanted to see what was going on in these Catholic churches. And I don't think she was real keen on me going with her. But with the subtlety of a sixth grader, she informed me how to behave. She said, listen, do what I do. When I stand, you stand. When I sit, you sit. When I kneel, you kneel. I said, okay. You know, so, so we go in, and it, it, was this, it was this massive church, old. It was dark. I mean, there was just this aura about it that I was engrossed with it. And at communion, with all the subtlety of a sixth grader, she looked at me, and she said, stay here. <laughs> Like, so, okay, so everybody's tromping over me to go to communion. I mean, evidently she knew that I was not supposed to go to communion. I didn't know what was going on. It was in Latin. You know, it was prior to Vatican II. But it, you know, it, it kind of did something in me, you know, to be able to go to a Catholic service. So by the time I get to high school, I'm always on the lookout for Catholic boys to date. Although I did date a Jewish guy one time, Okay because he was Jewish. I, you know, I was curious about the Jewish people because after all, they were the chosen people, right? You know, I mean, that's really getting to the root of it, isn't it? And till he went, took me over to meet his mother and it took no great gift of discernment <laughs> to know that she was not a happy camper, that her son had brought home a little Gentile girl to meet her. I think we dated, you know, a couple more dates, and then it kind of fizzled. But I think we were more of a novelty to each other than anything. But by my senior year in high school, things kind of changed. Two of my sisters were already gone and married, and that really changed the family dynamic. There was kind of a vacancy there, okay? And, and then in my junior year, because I dated a senior, my senior year, all my friends were gone because I hung out with his crowd. So. It was not, my senior year really wasn't as much fun as my junior year. The Vietnam War was being fought. The whole country was in a flux. Down on campus, there were always protests and things going on. And my fervor for the Lord, you know, that childish fervor I had really waned. The world crept in, uh, and we just, I just kind of flowed with the, you know, went with the flow. I started the partying and uh, entered into that whole hippie, anti-establishment kind of mindset that had normalized in our culture. And I had a lot less church attendance and more partying my friends, but I was still a believer. I was still a believer. Now I had put my faith on the back burner and turned the fire down real low, but I wasn't a bad person. I wasn't hurting anybody. I wasn't killing anybody. I was still okay in my faith. And I knew I was going to, you know, get back to the Lord eventually, right? I considered myself a Christian, but I wasn't living for Christ. I was just living for myself, you know, and, and thinking I was having a good time at it. Late in my senior year, I met my husband at the liquor store. Uh, <laughs> but he was working there, okay? He was working with my brother-in-law. He was working his way through college. He'd take classes in the morning and work there in the afternoon from 2 to 8. It turns out he was Catholic, and he never missed church. 
We dated for two years and then we married on September 8th, 1973. Not because it was a Marian feast day, but because we could get cheaper rates for a rental at the beach after Labor Day, okay? We were married for eight years during which time I had two children and one on the way before I converted to the Catholic faith in Easter of 81. It was for me kind of a practical decision, okay? Because, you know, I would take my children to the Methodist church, he would never miss mass. And when I would go to the Catholic church, you know, that's why it took me so long to convert because I really didn't feel welcome. You know, they were not a fellowshipy kind of church. You know, they'd turn to you and they'd say, peace be with you. You know, they didn't want to reach that hand out. You know, they didn't want to say hello. Whereas, you know, I have to say, in my Methodist faith, you were always welcomed. It's good to have you here. And how are you doing? And, you know, so I finally, you know, swallowed it, my pride, so to speak. And even though I was enamored of Catholics, uh, you know, I thought, well, okay, I'm going to do this because I knew we needed to worship as a family. So in 1981, after I converted, it's what I call the winter of my discontent. <laughs> you know, I was working in a, as a supervisor of a mortgage loan department and a, and a th savings and loan, and I loved that job. And with the birth of our third child, uh, I had to quit that job because I had three kids four and under, and I couldn't afford to work, you know. We moved two weeks before he was born into this older home that we had bought at the low, low interest rate of 11%, which at that time it was a deal because the rates were 18 to 20%. And so a good, we'd lost a good portion of our income. My mom was really sick and dying of breast cancer. I was going over and visiting her daily, packing up the kids and going over there, taking care of her and cooking and cleaning, going back and doing the same thing at my house. I was really tired. And I didn't know how to parent. I mean, my two kids had been going to daycare. And I, I wasn't really good at it. It was hard. <laughs> it was easier to go back to work and then pick them up and feed them dinner and put them in bed at night and do it all over again the next day. And, and you know, I just parented the way I was parented. Holler and spank, holler and spank, you know. And it wasn't working out very well. I remember I went to confession and our pastor said, um, well, you know, Pat, nobody's a perfect parent, but you raise your children in the Lord, and he will sand down the rough edges and fill in the holes. And boy, I'll tell you, that took a lot of pressure off of me. It didn't keep me from going to parenting classes and buying every book and reading I could about parenting, but, but it really helped me in being able to learn how to lovingly discipline my children. But the Lord had put me in a pressure cooker to get my attention, and I was, I was pretty miserable. But he didn't leave me there, okay? The upside is that new house we had bought, well, the old new house that was built in the 20s, was in a charismatic parish community, okay? St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Parish. And our pastor uh, had been very deeply involved with the National Service Committee of the Charismatic Renewal. He'd been on the... Uh, He'd been the chairman of that for a while. But I fell in love with that community. They fellowshipped. They had donuts after Mass every Sunday. And, you know, I mean, people hung around and talked to each other. I mean, it was a community. It was a family-based community, very tight. And I just moved right in. 
my, my husband said, I don't know, I think we need to go back to St. Teresa's, very traditional Catholic church. After he went there one time, and he's like, oh, I think we need to get back across the river. And I said, oh, no, 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 this is our parish. We're, we're, we're zoned to be here. We should stay here, which we did. I was thrilled. I started going to prayer meetings, and it kind of shocked me because after a few prayer meetings, I realized that they weren't praying in fluent Latin. They were praying in tongues. <laughs> and I knew that the Pentecostals did that, but I had no idea the Catholics did that. I was kind of shocked. I attended a Holy Spirit seminar, you know, the whole seven-week thing. I did my homework religiously every day because, you know, I wanted this Holy Spirit too. I mean, I could see Jesus was apparent. He was active in these people's lives, and, and I was at a point in my life, I needed that. I needed that bad. So I did all my homework. I did everything, and the night came to, to be prayed over for the Holy Spirit, and I, w- I knew something good was going to happen. Nothing happened. I felt nothing. I felt like I had just flunked Holy Spirit 101, and, and, and I was devastated. You know, I went home, I was just bummed. Uh, within a couple of weeks, there was a lady who had turned us on to Padre Pio and had us do a no, novena so we could find a house. And it, it, it took a while because of the interest rates and so forth. Her name was Genevieve. She was originally from Chicago. And she was an elderly woman and had a lot of health issues. And, and although she was a dear, sweet lady, she, she would complain a lot, you know, because she was alone. And so I'm at home. I had this pile of dirty dishes, all these kids running around and all these chores to do. And I kept hearing, call Genevieve, call Genevieve. I didn't want to call Genevieve because, you know, I had my own problems. I really didn't need to hear hers because I didn't think I could help her. So I finally called Genevieve after I decided, well, all right, I'm going to call Genevieve, but I won't ask her how she is because I knew she would tell me. This is serious. It's true. (laughs) This is how loving I was. Father's talking about how love is so important. This is how loving I was at the time. So I called up. Genevieve answers the phone. Hi, Genevieve. How are you? (laughs) <laughs> and she started to tell me and you know out of my mouth came these words came these answers just flooding out of my mouth and I remember every single thing she said I had either a scripture or a word of exhortation or a, something I don't know it was very uplifting for her and she, I, I, I don't remember what we were talking about but I do remember at one point she said well, you seem to be having very good answers for everything. What about this? She gave me something I had the answer for. And as it was happening, I knew it wasn't me. I didn't have those answers. I knew it was the Holy Spirit speaking through me. And I was thrilled. I was thrilled because I did get the Holy Spirit. I did. It happened. The Lord used me. You know, in the world, it's such a derogatory term. They're just using you. Isn't that derogatory? You don't want to be used. But when the Lord uses you, oh, wow. It's elating. The joy and contentment, the the sense of fulfillment in your life. I was was on cloud nine. I went and I tackled those dishes, and I'm singing praise to God, and I was all thrilled. Another thing that happened was the scriptures kind of 
opened up to me. I'd heard about people opening up the Bible and the words lifting off the page, and I, you know, that never happened to me. And I was sitting there. My mom was so sick at the time, and I asked, uh, I said, you know, Lord, why does such a good person have to suffer so much? I'm flipping through my, I still had my King James Version. <laughs> I'm flipping through my King James Version, and I look, and the words in Romans just got big. It's like, read this. Rejoice in your sufferings, because suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character does not, and, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. No sooner did I ask the question, why? And I was like, oh. I opened up the word of God, and there was the answer. That's why because God's love is poured into our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. To be able to read the word of God and understand it was incredible, incredible. And so my husband wondered what had happened to me. He was like, where is this party girl I married? She was gone. One summer after that, over a period of about four months, the Lord spoke to me through three different instances. Because, you know, you think you have the Holy Spirit. You're done. You're complete. You got it all. You know. And he's like, eh, let me teach you a few lessons here, child. We had this garden. And I'd say it was probably about from where Father's sitting, the length of this room that I maintained. I loved gardening. I was out there all the time. And there's a little boy in our neighborhood named Joey from a needy family. He couldn't read the word the, and he was in the third grade. So I'd sit him up on the porch. Come on, Joey, I'm going to give you a quarter. We're going to read today. Come on and get your reading lesson. We'd sit up there and I'd read with him. He came over one day after I'd been working in the garden all day, and I was filthy. Dirt under the fingernails, muddy pants, muddy shoes. I mean, it was just, you know, you sucker tomatoes, you know, the, the green dirt, the, you know, I was just really sweaty and dirty and filthy. He says, Pat, my brother's really sick, and he needs, he needs some, some aspirin. Do you have any aspirin? And I knew I was supposed to go with Joey to his house and take that aspirin, okay? And I was supposed to pray over his brother. I'm just, I just knew it. And I'm looking at myself. I, you know, there's no way I could have stepped in anybody's home. So I holler up the hill to my husband. I'm like, Chuck, give Joey some holy water and some aspirin. Okay? So my husband did, and I'll never forget the sight of that little guy running across my yard, aspirin in one hand and the holy water in the other. And he just looks so excited, running across that yard, you know? So the next day asking, Joey, Joey, how's your brother? How'd it go? And I said, well, now... Did you use the holy water? Not, they're not even Catholic. They're not even churchgoers. What was I thinking? He goes, no, we didn't know what to do with that. We, we were scared of it. We just threw it down the sink. And I realized you don't send a sacramental to do the job of a disciple. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And I, I was devastated. I, you know, I just kind of went into myself and... I was just beating myself up with that because I'd missed an opportunity. 
I'd missed an opportunity to take Christ into the midst of a needy family, and I didn't answer that call. And as I'm, you know, beating myself up and I'm in prayer about it, and you know what the Lord told me? You know what I heard in my head? Pat, don't ever let your sinfulness keep you from my call. It wasn't in my physical state that he was trying to make a point about. It was my spiritual state. I was all he had in that instance. Don't ever let your sinfulness keep you from my call. About a month or so later, we saw this elderly man, heavyset man with a raincoat on, and it was 90 degrees out. Everything he owned in two bags. He's lumbering along. My son's in the front seat with us. He was still sucking. He was young. He was sucking his thumb at the time, and he was my youngest, and he's really thrilled to be in the front seat because his brother and sister weren't there. We were off running an errand, and I says, Mikey, what do you think? Do you think we ought to pick this guy up? No. He was going to maintain that front seat in the car. And, you know, and, and I think, you know, I just, you know, the whole thing of picking up hitchhikers. The man wasn't even hitchhiking. He was just lumbering along, walking so slowly. And so I didn't. We went out about 45 minutes worth of errands, and he came down. And by the time we're coming back across the bridge, across the river into Westover where I live, that man had just reached the bridge and was on the bridge. And it should have taken him less than five minutes. And I felt so bad because by that time, you know, I'd missed my opportunity. There's a big ledge across, you know, he couldn't have, it's a different lane. There's no way I could have taken him anywhere. And I felt so bad about that. It was another missed call. I just knew that I was supposed to have picked him up and I didn't do it. And as I was, you know, kind of crying to the Lord about that missed event, I heard, Pat, don't let your family keep you from my call. You know, that's, that's a delicate balance, isn't it, your family? And so I'm, I'm telling him about this delicate balance with the family, and he says, you know, you answer my call, I'll take care of your family. A little while later... A good friend of mine I went to high school with, my best friend in high school, and her mother was like my second mother, Mary June. And uh, she'd di- been diagnosed with cancer, and my friend asked us to come over and pray for her because we'd had a healing team by that time. And, and uh, so we went every week for several months until she passed. And I'd just come from prayer meeting. She's still alive, but she'd been put in the hospital. And her daughter had told me, she doesn't want any visitors, no visitors. I said, okay, you know. So I'd come back from prayer meetings about 10 o'clock at night. And I heard after I'd just been praising the Lord for two hours, okay, you understand? I'm I'm, I'm in the presence of the Lord for over two hours in his community. And I hear, go see Mary June. Go see Mary June. And I thought, well, you know, it's after hours. The nurses aren't going to want me up on that floor. Her daughter said that she didn't want any visitors. Chuck's not going to know where I am. I'm due home around 10. You know, it'll be over an hour. And I didn't go. Well, she died two days later. It was the last time I could have seen her. And that was a real tough one. So I'm beating myself up again, crying to the Lord about, you know, not answering the call, you know, not doing what I was 
prompted by the Spirit to do? Why, why did I keep ignoring the prompting of the Spirit? And I heard, don't rationalize my call. Do we do that? We rationalize? I, those were all good reasons. But he knew what was going to happen, and he also knew that the family was going to have a private funeral. And so there was no closure. I mean, you know, her sister actually called me up and said, now, Pat, we love you, but, you know, we just want the family at the, at the funeral. I said, I understand, I understand. I mean, I, I didn't hold it against him. The Lord told me to go. wasn't her fault. It was mine. So, you know, the Lord, you know, and I still struggle, you know, in and out of those issues. It's easy to fall into those, the sinfulness, the family, the rationalization of the call. But I'm better. He hasn't left me there. I was whining to him one day about something. I can't remember what it was. Lauren, you know, I've talked to you about this before. And, you know, I heard, Pat, water wears down rock. So I'm thinking, so are you talking the Grand Canyon kind of wear or little pebbles in a stream? Is this going to be in my lifetime? You know, and I think he has a pretty good sense of humor. He could take that. But, you know, water wears down rock. Just keep praying. Just keep praying. Don't stop. You're wearing it down. You're wearing it down. Now, because I had the Holy Spirit and I attended prayer meetings, and I was the one with my nose in the Bible every day uh, in our relationship with my husband. I knew what my husband needed, right? <laughs> We'd been married close to 15 years, and I knew what he needed. So, you know, I found myself, you know, praying for him every night before we go to bed, you know. And <laughs> so the Lord spoke to me about that, too. I had a dream one night, and I'm walking along a beach, and I see roof trusses being shoved into the sand dunes on the right, you know, over the sand dunes with the little sea oats. You could see the tops of the beach houses. The ocean was on this side. And I could see roof trusses being shoved into sand. And I thought, well, that's odd. And all the while I could hear, dun, dun, dun. And I thought, what is that? And I looked to the left and I see a pier being built. And the pile driver was driving the pillars of the pier down into the bedrock. And I got it. He's saying, your prayers are roof trusses in sand. You leave me alone. I'm putting the pilings into the bedrock. You pray for me to do the work in your husband, right? And my husband is why I became Catholic. And I fell in love with the Catholic faith. But yet, you know, that kind of arrogant sense of I know and he needs right we used to go to conferences back in Notre Dame and I went one year with a friend when John Wimber was there and the title was you will receive power well you know I needed some power in my life I needed something right so I said let's go well she had been in back traction for three years she was instantly healed at that conference and when we came home from that conference she starts praying with everybody, you know, because the Lord healed her. I mean, healed her back instantly to where she could bend over. She hadn't done that for three years. The only problem she had was lengthening her, what are you, your, your hamstring. 
you know, so she had to stretch out her hamstrings because she hadn't bent over for so long. So she started praying for everyone, and our, our pastor kind of reeled us in because she kept wanting me to do this. I was like, Linda, you were the one that was healed. My image of healing prayer was Catherine Coleman, Oral Roberts, and Rex Humbard, who I used to watch with my grandfather, okay? This was not me, okay? But she said, you know, we really need to do this, and Patsy pulled us in. So that for the next three years, every Friday morning from 8.30 until noon mass, you know, he had us, you know, he was training us to be healing ministers, which, you, you know, you know it's a gift, but still there's a lot of stuff you can learn about the healing ministry. We studied Francis McNutt, Father Leo Thomas, uh, Matthew and Dennis Lynn and Sheila Fabricant, uh, Barbara Schliemann. You know, we, we studied and we prayed for one another. We had a team of three, and we prayed over each other. We attended a lot of healing conferences, and we learned to listen to the Holy Spirit as we listened to someone share their problems. And we listened to how the Holy Spirit wanted to work through, you know, and flow through us. This led me into hospital ministry I'd go to. Back then it was, you know, they really didn't have a lot of lay people in the hospital. And uh, one of the nuns there who was in charge of the chaplain at the hospital asked me to help her with communion. And I'll just tell two stories. There were lots of stories, beautiful stories. But there was an elderly man there once, so old. And I walked in and I looked at this man. He's in his 90s. And he was so sick. And I remember, you know, offering him communion. And he said yes. And after communion, I always say a prayer for him. I was like, Lord, what do you want me to pray for? You know, I was, prayed, I was trying to pray for healing. You know, this man was over 90 and, and clearly dying. And I heard in my head, you pray that his suffering is united with my suffering on the cross for the reparation of sin and the salvation of all those he knows and loves. Now, I knew that did not come from me. I didn't even know if that was theologically correct. And I was kind of hesitant to pray that because I wanted to be, I didn't want to make something up. But it came to me again, so I prayed that. That man wept, was so grateful, and thanked me. You know, I didn't want to pray about his suffering because then I'd have to say he was suffering. You know, you kind of want to tiptoe around people's sufferings and act like it's really not there. They know they're suffering. Acknowledging it and giving it to Christ is healing. But he was so grateful, he died two days later. I was able to give him viaticum was special. I also met, after we'd come back from a conference uh, that Dr. Kenneth McCall had put on, the Association of Christian Therapists had him over in Philadelphia. We went over to Philadelphia for that, and he talked about intergenerational healing and the connection between abortion and um, uh, what's the wasting disease? Just, you know, when, when they don't eat. Anorexia, anorexia and the relation between that. And if you want to read about intergenerational healing, the book that you would want to read would be Father DeGrandis' book on intergenerational healing. 
and Dr. Kenneth McCall's book is Healing the Family Tree, but we'd been at this conference, and it was all about, you know, praying for the aborted baby to be released into heaven, always at the Mass, always at the Mass. Name that child and give him to Christ in the Mass. So we just come home, and, and, and I go up, and I see this 90-some-year-old woman, this is in the 80s, lying in the bed, and asked her if she wanted to receive communion. She said, oh, I don't know. I need to go to confession first. And I said, well, would you like me to get a priest for you to come? And she says, no, I've confessed it before. And when she said that, into my mind popped the word abortion. And I'm looking at her, and I'm thinking, nah. Well, it turns out, she mentioned it again. She said, because I did, you know, I did a bad thing. And then she said, I had to go to New York. And she was really hard of hearing. You know, I kept looking around the screen, you know, the little curtain that divides between the person next, but the next person was sound asleep. And I said, was it an abortion? You know, I got the nerve up to ask her. She said, what? Was it an abortion? What? Was it an abortion? You know, and I'm looking to make sure the door's closed. And she said, yes, yes, that's what it was. Here's this woman confessed all these times in her 90s. It broke my heart that she was so convicted and couldn't forgive herself for this. And so I told her about naming the child and offering the child you know, during a mass. And she said, but I didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. I said, well, you don't have to name it a, a, a boy or a girl's name. You can name the baby Faith, Hope, Love. You know, and we decided on a name. I think it was a virtue. And uh, she said, okay. And I said, now I'm going to go to a mass today. I'll take your baby. I'm going to take your baby to this mass. And we're going to offer this child. We'll say the name was Faith. I said, we're going to offer Faith at the mass. So the mass I was going to was a school mass. All these little children in the gym of the school. So I'm sitting on the bleachers offering this baby that belonged to this woman that had been boarded and had to have been 40 years ago. And they're all singing, and he will raise you up on eagle. All those sweet little voices, eagle swings. I'm sitting there just crying, you know, because it was so beautiful. You know, that woman was released from the hospital two days later. She was healed. She was able to live out the rest of her life in peace because that baby was released. Her guilt was gone. It was during these years that I learned the meaning of the verse in Matthew 25, when I was ill or in prison, did you come to me? There was a, I took Eucharist to the hospital on Christmas Day one time. It was my day to go, and it was a Tuesday, and we always traveled to western West Virginia, and, you know, I thought, well, I, I could, you know, go another day, and I thought, no, 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 I really want to take Jesus on his birthday. I want to take Jesus on his birthday. So I go, and here's another little old lady. Oh, you know, they, they send them all home for the holidays because they don't want the staff to have to work, and, and people want to be home for the holidays. And I gave her communion, and I'll never forget that frail, bruised, creped-skinned, arthritic hand that she held out to me. 
after she received communion. And I was compelled, you know, you're not supposed to really kiss people in the hospital, but I was compelled to take that hand and kiss it. And when I did, the experience of Christ, I knew what he meant. When I was ill, did you visit me? This woman, I thought I was taking Jesus to her, and yet it turns out she was Jesus. She ministered to me. It was profound. The words can't describe how special it was. We went to Alderson Prison to do a Christ Renews His Parish. The same thing happened. And uh, one of the girls there, her name was Katie. And she was in prison because, you know, her boyfriend was a Coke dealer, and she just happened to get swept in with it. But I had a prayer card fall out of my Bible, and this was a very special prayer card to me. It was in Italian. It had been handed to me by who I believe was an angel when I was in Italy visiting, you know, my sister when she was overseas. And this little old lady, through the crowd, through three people, reached in and handed me this little prayer card. We were walking up the steps of Santa Maria del Fioro Church in Florence. And everywhere we went, because I was gone during my son's fifth birthday, everywhere we went, I would light a candle praying for my husband, Mr. Mom, home with three kids, you know, nine and under. And, you know, <laughs> it worked. He made it through. But that's the prayer card that fell out. And it was a beautiful picture of Our Lady of Grace. Well, it fell out, hit the floor, and I picked it up, and I put it back in my Bible. I knew I was supposed to give it away. (laughs) I didn't want to give it away. But I finally, I opened it back up and I handed it. I said, I think you're supposed to have this. She goes, well, yeah, I do too. He was like, I can't believe you weren't going to give it to me kind of attitude, you know. I said, well, it's yours now, you know. At the end of that weekend, because we were there for a weekend down at Alderson Prison, and it was a federal prison, at the end of that weekend, all those women went into their rooms and brought out everything they had and they gave us a party. Now these are women that earn like 25 cents an hour and when they get out of prison, you know, but, they, but that's their, their, their paycheck. But you know, a tube of toothpaste is $4. You know, everything they have to buy for themselves in the prison, so, I mean, it's not like they're making any money, right? But they took everything they had and gave us a party. And at that point, I realized we weren't bringing Christ to them. They were Christ to us. And I understood when I was in prison, did you come to me? Okay. Mother Teresa talks about the poor being Jesus and Jesus kissing you. And I know in the days uh, through the years, I think of Jesus sitting us on his lap sitting me on his lap and kissing my boo-boos. When my mom died, he gave me the peace that passes all understanding. My sisters were losing it, and I'm in such perfect peace, I'm thinking, what's wrong with me? I didn't love my mother. But all the prayers I had for her came back to me in the form of peace. Same thing with my dad. Same thing with our grandson when he died. That was the first Christmas in 10 years that all my children we're at home at the same time for the holidays. We nearly lost my daughter-in-law, too, with that birth. But it was a special, special Christmas. 
I believe it's not the absence of pain or suffering that defines our blessings. It's the grace and the mercy and compassion, the love of God that comes to us in the midst of our pain and suffering that blesses us. It's true. I can't explain it. I didn't get it. I've read it. I didn't get it until I had to live it. But it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's the peace that passes all understanding. We can cry, but we can still feel the love of God. You know, all these years I've wondered, why did God call me to the Catholic faith? And I reflect, I believe it was the Blessed Mother from that first time I blessed myself with that holy water. That first Catholic service I went to. You know, most women identify with Mary in the Magnificat. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. I identify with Elizabeth. Who am I? Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I know the first thing I read, and I, I wanted to take a, 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 you know, when I started getting involved in Magnificat, there's a line in the council's message to women uh, talking about how important women are. Women of the entire universe, this is the last line, this is the one that got me. <laughs> Women of the entire universe, whether Christian or non-believing, you to whom life is entrusted at this grave moment in history. Now this, the grave moment in history was 1965 when this was written. <laughs> How much more grave does it feel today? It is for you to save the peace of the world. And I remember reading that and then my first reaction was, well, isn't that just like a man to make a mess of things and then ask a woman to clean it up? But I realize, you know, whoever wrote that gets us. They get that we are nurturers. We're life givers. I don't care whether we've ever had children or not. We're life givers. There is an empowerment that has been bestowed on us, that has graced us through the Blessed Mother. I mean, I used to think of her as, you know, full of grace because she had Christ in her arms and... Uh, within her spirit. And I, I prayed the rosary one time. I said, Hail Mary, the full of grace. I was kind of cleaning the bathroom. I was doing the full of grace. The Lord is with thee. And boom. I mean, I was literally taken aback. And I realized when I said the Lord is with me, how I kind of just kind of fluttered over that. Because uh, I always thought of the Lord being with her interiorly. But this was a sense that he just shook me. I mean, he literally shook me inside my being. I mean, I had to hold on to the wall. I wanted to go get a copy of the Hail Mary to make sure I was remembering it right. How many Hail Marys have I said? But the Lord is with her exteriorly. She is on the move. And I believe that the Lord called me from my little Protestant background for such a time as this to be a part of this ministry because I believe he's amassing the troops of women who are saving the peace of the world through their prayers. It's a ministry of prayer. It's a powerful ministry. You know, we're not in the boardrooms. We're not in this. And we're on our knees. And our prayers count. And he wants our prayers. That rosary we prayed today, we don't know where that's going. But it's going somewhere. It's going where it's most needed. And so I'm, I'm just grateful to be a part of it. I'm grateful 
to be here with you today. And I thank the Lord that he allows me to commit my life to him and be a part of this ministry. You know, it's always important to recommit our lives to Christ. And, and Father Harold Cohen, who was the first spiritual director of Magnificat, wrote a prayer of commitment. And if you would all like uh, to repeat after me, we can recommit our lives to Christ through Father Harold's prayer. And just repeat after me. In the name of Jesus. And in the power of his precious blood. I renounce Satan and all evil spirits. I repent of all my sins. Cleanse me in your precious blood. I commit my life to you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Release the power of your Holy Spirit within me. And make me a new creation. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you all. Thanks so much for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.